check. That was louder than. Yeah, go ahead and say something like with authority. I said it and I meant that. Boom. Amy, <laughs> say something. <laughs> Megan lives for the microphone. Oh. Slay. <laughs> she do though. She do. Welcome to TikTok Theology, a podcast that tackles the major trending topics on social media that concern the Christian faith. I'm Megan. And I'm Steven. We know you can't form a theology in three minutes or less, but those videos can identify current issues. TikTok will give us the prompt and then we'll do a deep dive. Thanks for joining us in this exploration. Hey friends, welcome back to TikTok Theology. Today we have a very special guest that we're going to get into in a second. You're going to love her. But today's topic, we're chatting about our spiritual gifts for today. And I think what's important to know on like TikTok theology is like you don't necessarily, we're not necessarily talking to like unbelievers all the time. Mm. Like there's debate on TikTok within like Christian communities as well. And I think spiritual gifts and whether or not they're around today or we're supposed to be around today Mm -hmm. um, is also up in the air and has been kind of a conversation on a Christian talk if that's where you find yourself on some sides of social media. So Mm -hmm. Stephen, why don't you introduce our very special guest today? All right, so um, we are very happy to bring on our dear friend, Amy Selby. She's my colleague, Ooh. one of my favorite people at LPU, at Life Pacific University. Very, very one popular. One of his favorite people. There ain't that, there ain't That's that many on of record. Us. There, ain't, there ain't that many of us. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm saying? You are, you are definitely, you are definitely one of my favorite people. And also a very, very well-liked professor to the point that you won professor of the year couple years ago. Yeah, she did. She did. I did right before you won. Yes, but I won during COVID. And so they didn't give me junk. And I, I complained about this. My name's not even on the plaque, okay? Like Amy showed me this. She was like, hey, look, you're missing here. I was like, man. All right. He said, uh, and then whoever uh, LP was listening to this, you guys can go ahead and rectify that situation anytime soon. That'd <laughs> You're be super on the awesome. LPU plaque. You're not on the city of San Dimas. See, San Dimas doesn't recognize that I can actually teach. <laughs> ah, no, nah, I'm just messing. It doesn't matter. But Amy, well-deserved. She is um, a longtime missionary, super wise, licensed Foursquare pastor, right? Yes. Yes. For 20 sure. years now. 20 years. Come on. She was Creeping named, up on that 25-year celebration. She she has, I've heard multiple Creeping. times from her that she spells her name A-I-M-E-E, and it was named after Amy Selby McPherson. I was. So uh, she's Amy Selby McPherson. Oh, dear. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> but anyway, she's, she's really awesome. She's funny. She's articulate. She can also kick your butt. Um, mm-hmm. She does uh, martial arts, and she was teaching that over in, um, when she was a missionary. And so, uh, and so we're really just excited to have her here, but very specifically, the reason why we asked her is because she teaches one of our really popular courses called spiritual gifts. And in it, she talks through all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I'll teach about gifts from a theological place and other people will teach about gifts from, you know, biblical studies place in in our various classes, but yours is very ministerial minded and digs into every aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And so, um, a whole class dedicated to it, which I think is so cool. I'm so proud of our school for even doing that. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's Amy. So we're super excited. And, uh, but you know her. I do. I do. For another reason. I know her also Amy MA in, what was your master's in? Education. Education and then PhD in progress. PhD, yes. I'm six years into a PhD (laughs) in intercultural studies. Oh, I thought you were studying progress. PhD in progress. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, I took Amy's spiritual gifts class when I was a freshman at LPU and then subsequently became her TA 
for spiritual gifts and foundations of global engagement for five semesters. Five semesters. Yeah. Bestie Amy and I for five semesters grading papers and learning so much from this woman. She is a fountain of wisdom and Mm -hmm. an absolute was a mentor to me and a mentor to so many on this campus and just a lover of people and a discipler. And so, 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 um, a statement and a foundation for the ministry department at LPU. And yep. we're so thankful to have her here to share some expertise on, on this conversation. Cause if I've, she prays she's got so for much you, to say. If she prays for you, that might wreck your life. It will wreck your life. <laughs> it's wrecked my Aww. life. Cried many a times in front of Miss Amy. All right. So <laughs> thanks to, guys. Yeah, you're, you're very welcome. Well, well deserved. Everybody loves you. And I think you're going to get so many more people tuning in just because there's Amy Selby here. So, all right, let's start with this. Let's give a little bit of background. Um, mm-hmm. When we talk about spiritual gifts, what are they? And why is there even a dispute? Like, are some of them disputed? Why? Can you just give us, a, enlighten us a bit about what's going on there? Yeah, so let's start with the what are they question. So we have three main passages and then, and then a smaller passage. So four passages in scripture that talk about gifts that are given to us, mm-hmm. given to believers by God. Right. And... One of the things that I love is you see this beautiful harmony, um, this this action within the Trinity mm-hmm. of who gives what. Um, so there, we see the Holy Spirit giving gifts. We see Jesus giving gifts. We see God the Father giving gifts to the believers. So the, these three passages, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, talk about the gifts given to us that are manifestations of the Holy Spirit, yeah. of his power, of his presence, of his goodness, of his grace. Um, manifested through believers. The gifts that are listed in that passage are word of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, healings, faith, miracles, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, mm-hmm. and discernment of spirits. Yeah. And that passage says very clearly, it's the Holy Spirit who gives these gifts to every believer as he sees fit mm-hmm. uh, for, for the good of all, it says. Yeah. Then in Romans 12, we have what we sometimes call motivational gifts. And this passage says that these gifts come from God the Father to his children, to, to believers. And that list includes prophecy, service, mercy, leadership, exhortation, giving, and teaching. Yeah. And then we have another list uh, in Ephesians chapter four, which we often call the ministry gifts or the office gifts. And these specifically says, this is the gifts that Jesus gave to the church. And that is apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are the three main passages. And then first Peter, just because Peter wants to get in on the action here. <laughs> Always. First Peter <laughs> uh, in chapter four, he, he lists two. He talks about the gifts of service and the gifts of speaking and says, if you have these gifts, use them. Basically, if you have the gift of speaking, speak. If you have the gifts of service, serve each other in yeah. love. Yeah. Um, so those are the main passages that talk about these gifts given to us by God mm-hmm. for use in the church. Uh, for the good of all, it mm-hmm. says, for the common good to build up and equip the church and also to equip us and empower us to carry out the mission that he created us for. Yeah. So that's what they are. You ask which ones are disputed. Are they all disputed? They're they're typically not all disputed. I don't know anyone, even people that come from a background that would be a cessationist background that would say we don't anymore have the gift of teaching the gift of right. service. <laughs> right. Um, we canonized the Bible, so no teachers anymore. Right. <laughs> We're we don't need the gift of giving, right? Like, yeah. uh, every pastor is going to talk about, you know, those spiritual gifts. Those are not disputed. The ones that tend to be disputed are the ones that are considered 
kind of more extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Although technically every spiritual gift is extraordinary because it's coming from from the spirit of God. Right. right? It's not (laughs) something that inherently comes from you and I. Right. So they're all extraordinary. But the ones that tend to be disputed are healing, prophecy, and tongues. Yeah. And that's typically when you hear people say that some of these gifts have ceased. Mm-hmm. It's those ones, not the rest in the list. Yeah. Just those ones. We don't need those anymore. We don't need healing. We don't need tongues. We don't need prophecy. Mm-hmm. And then word of wisdom and word of knowledge is going to fit in there under the umbrella of prophecy as well. So those are, those are the ones that tend to be disputed. Okay. So there's a, a typical argument that's made why these would be disputed. I think there might be like, a sense of like, maybe people aren't comfortable with them. And so they're going to, to read that into it, you know? Yeah. Um, but there is a biblical argument that they rely on too. And that's in first Corinthians 13, eight through 13. I'll read this passage because this passage is the one that like kind of, it's the linchpin. It's the linchpin. And it's like, it's what, where they're seeing biblical evidence for the ideas. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll read it. And then we'll talk about how, how some people interpret this. And these people are called cessationists. Those are like the ones that where they believe certain things have ceased. So this is the passage that goes for it. Um, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And so that's where the word comes from for cessationism. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And know these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Mm-hmm. So they'll see this thing that says prophecies, tongues, knowledge will cease. Well, it's interesting because no one's going to say knowledge. Exactly. That, there, there's something there right. that kind of right. defeats themselves there. It's like when the complete comes, we will not have knowledge, you know, like, but I do, th- I do think that someone might say that they'll see knowledge as the gift of knowledge, the prophetic gift of knowledge. They'll see it maybe as a subsidiary of prophecy there. Okay. That makes sense. I think you'd have to be pretty flexible with the language to make that totally. equivalent yeah. to yeah. words of knowledge. Yes. But I agree. As opposed to general knowledge, but I could see how one might make that argument if they haven't done some thorough exegesis. Right, exactly. And and I think that's the, one of the big problems is the exegetical problem, right? Yes. And so this is rooted in, in the idea of when the complete comes. Mm-hmm. And so there's two main versions that are, that cessationists will argue for. Yes. And one of them is that it's just in the apostolic age to spread Christianity. Once Christianity is spread, then we, they don't need to do these miracles anymore. So they affirm that these miracles um, happen in the Bible. So when the Bible talks about healings and exorcisms and all this kind of stuff, it happened because it, it was essential for the spread of Christianity. Once Christianity spread, it was done. Mm-hmm. That's one version. The other version is that it was it, ha- it ended with the canonization of scripture. So um, there was various versions of like lists of what they had for what's going to be in the New Testament and stuff like that. But then when the church officially decided what is the canon of scripture through some councils, then they were like, okay, now we have a firm foundation in scripture. We no longer need these spiritual gifts to happen anymore. And we can back that up with it saying here, that the prophecies will cease and tongues will cease and whatnot. Yes. So for some context, this passage that you read is 
out of First Corinthians 13, which fits right between, obviously, First Corinthians 12 and First Corinthians 14. Come on. So it has very much to do with the gifts. <laughs> yes. First Corinthians 12 is where Paul lists these nine gifts that are manifestations of the Holy Spirit given to each person. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter 14 is where he comes and brings, speaks some correction into how the Corinthian church was using the gifts. Mm. And then right between those two chapters, we have this, we have first Corinthians 13, which, you know, usually is called the love chapter and we quote portions of it in weddings and of course, all of that. but right there in the love chapter, there's this verse 18 to 13 section that says that at some point these gifts will cease. So I think what's really happening here between a Pentecostal theology and a cessationist theology, it's, it's not a disagreement on whether or not the gifts will at some point cease. Scripture says at some point they will. Right. The question is when. Have they already ceased, Mm -hmm. which is what the cessationist view would say, or will they cease at some further point? And the, the hinge point is what is Paul meaning in this verse when he says, when the completion comes, the completeness comes, or some translations say when when perfection comes, Mm -hmm. these things will cease. Yeah. Words of knowledge will cease. Prophecy will cease. Tongues will cease. Mm-hmm. Um, knowledge in general will cease. Yeah. What is he meaning when he says the perfection or the completeness? Cessationists would say what Paul is meaning there is when the canon is completed. Which that's such a goofy interpretation to me. Like just to be entirely like, I, I want to respect other interpretations, but why would the Bible be self-referential Towards canon, right? Before it was canonized. Also, is there scripture where? Correct me if I'm wrong. Bible is called perfect anywhere, like even no, in scripture, to like, like as God, the yeah, perfection. as the perfection. Like, does Bible the canon like ever even refer to itself as no. perfection? No, and the idea that that Paul or the New Testament writers would have known that these letters that they're writing are going to be collected into a canon. They didn't know. There's no way. They didn't know. So you have to insert that uh, assumption in there for it to make sense that Paul somehow is talking about when scripture is completed, when the canon is completed, Hmm. that's what is the the perfection or that's what completion means. And once we have that, then we no longer need the gifts because we have the completed written word of God. So we don't need these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but Mm -hmm. you really have to come into it presupposing that that's what he means. Yeah. Yes. As opposed to seeing it as Pentecostal theologians would see it is that this perfection he's talking about knowing as we are known, seeing God face to face. Yeah. It's really obvious almost. It is to us. (laughs) In our interpretation, what he's saying is that when Christ comes back, at the second coming of Christ, that is when we will know as we are known. That is when we will no longer need right. the gifts um, to be displayed among us because we will be with Jesus face to face. Right. Everything will be complete. The storyline is brought to an end. Mm-hmm. Perfection has come. And at that point, is there need to speak in tongues, to prophesy, to have? No, because we're with him face to face. We yeah. no longer need. And at that point, our our evangelistic mission is complete. complete. So we no longer need these gifts of empowerment to carry out the mission because the mission is done. Perfection has come. Completion has come. Right. Yeah. When I was, when I was young and I didn't grow up Pentecostal, I grew up Christian missionary Alliance. So holiness, very close Puerto Rican background though. So it's very charismatic. So it's similar Mm -hmm. to it. 
But like that was just never even in question. When I read that passage and, and when uh, my dad, when he read that passage, it was always eschatological. Mm-hmm. It was always like when we stand in front of Jesus, when we're seeing things face to face, you right. know, like we're seeing things as in a mirror dimly because we're in this world right. where we're still in this in-between state, still affected by sin. But mm-hmm. then when we are in heaven and we see face to face, that's when these things will happen. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's a, there's a connection to these three things remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Right. So if you think about like faith, faith is belief in something that you can't see, right? Hope is your hope for what's to come. But then when it's complete, those have arrived. You do see, and it has arrived. And so the greatest of these is love. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's a hierarchy here either, but it's talking about a function that love is that foundational thing for the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And it will, it will continue on. And the other things are, are, are situational in our place of incompleteness. Mm-hmm. Like we need faith and hope right now because of where we're at. Mm-hmm. We need love, but that's going to be the reality of which we exist for all eternity as well. Right. That's true. You know, have you heard of the chiastic structure thing you haven't for first Corinthians 13 and, or 12 through 14? Maybe, but I don't know that term okay. off the top of my head. So, so chiasm is this kind of the structure um, that the Bible writers would write with they would have like a point and it would be a, and then they would have another point B and then like there would be, and it can continue going, but let's say like the main point of the passage was C and then they would come down and descend and they would reiterate B that B point, And it would be called B prime. There would be like B with a little dash next to it. And then they would reiterate that a point a prime. So it's this kind of like mirrored uh, way of arguing really common in the new Testament. Yes. And Mark, Mark Duzik's Romans class is actually coming back. Yes. I know exactly what this yes, is. <laughs> yes. So this is a, a huge chiasm as well. So if you start with first Corinthians 12, you get Paul talking about your behavior in the church, like church conduct and how we're supposed to react. Then he talks about gifts and how they're egalitarian. They're for everybody. And then he talks about love and how like the gifts without love are nothing. They're, they're like, like you've missed a point hard mm-hmm. if you're trying to function in these gifts without love. And then, um, and then they return to the gifts again and then they return to church conduct again. And so I think there is a very significant contextual point to being made about that, a primacy of love in the gifts of how they're even using the church mm-hmm. before we throw in cessationism too. Right. Like that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not even remotely what Paul's talking about. Right. So the context, he's just proving the primacy of love. It's going to be there always and it's foundational even when we stand face to face to Jesus, mm-hmm. right? But it doesn't say, oh, therefore, when the Bible is canonized. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and also we'd have to ignore part of verse 12 or 13. I don't, I didn't actually put the numbers in right. this. Okay, neither did the scroll writers. <laughs> I know. So, so really, this is just authentic. <laughs> yes. So Paul says, he says these things are going to cease when the perfection comes. And then we have this piece. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. And and sometimes cessationists will use that to say, see, speaking in tongues, it's babble like, oh, like, like children. children. And that's mm. that has ceased. We don't do that anymore because mm. now we can speak out of scripture. We don't need to babble like children. But he goes on to say, now we see only reflection is in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even yeah. as I am fully known. Mm-hmm. When when scripture was canonized, we did not suddenly know fully no. as we are fully known. <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. That has not <laughs> happened. <laughs> when we know fully as we are fully known, we will not need these gifts. Hey guys, 
they picked which books are canon. And now, now we, we know fully everything. Know. Now we <laughs> yes. Thank God. We don't need this podcast. We know it all. Right. So <laughs> you God. you really have to to presuppose some things and like come to this scripture with the decision that what he's meaning by completion mm-hmm. or perfection is the canonization of scripture. Yeah. And it's just not in the text itself. It's just itself. a foreign concept. It, it doesn't, is. It's I, foreign to the text. It's foreign to Paul. Paul ain't thinking like that. There's no way he's thinking about the canonization of his own letters. It just does not make sense. Right. There's certain things that are like, oh, well, could Paul have meant that? No, absolutely not. There's no way. And so mm-hmm. I, I sound a little, I think I sound a little passionate about this, but I just think it's a really <laughs> terrible reading of those passages. Yeah. You know? I, I do want to say, like, I think I, I do want to acknowledge that I think cessationists, they're not coming from a disregard of the scripture. Mm. I think they hold scripture in high regard. I think both sides hold scripture in high regard. This is not a question where one side is saying, we don't need what the Bible says. Yeah. Yeah. And the other side is saying, we understand what the Bible says. They are trying we, to we interpret it. Yes, this is both sides show a passionate high regard for scripture. This is a question of exegesis and interpretation. Yeah. Yes. How is scripture being interpreted? Mm-hmm. I happen to believe that cessationists are wrong. But mm-hmm. I do not believe that they are intentionally manipulating scripture or that they're ignorant or that they're lying. That's yeah. a good point. Yes. And it's a good gracious point that we need to constantly make. In our right. Big and and I think, family. especially if we're going to hold to Paul, uh, mm-hmm. Pauline concepts of the primacy of love, <laughs> yeah, <good laughs> the primacy yeah. of love. Yeah. Yeah. And now we are to do all of these things, loving each other. Then yeah. that means that we need to stop throwing rocks. Yeah. At each other. Now, I can disagree. I, the fortunate thing about love and unity is that agreement is not a prerequisite. Right. Yeah. For unity. I can disagree. I believe that the starting point, the starting presupposition that cessationists come to this passage with is wrong. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I believe, in my opinion, that the outcome of their conclusion is wrong. Because if you start with a wrong presupposition, you're going to end up with a wrong conclusion. Right. right. So I disagree with with what they believe. I, I, I believe that their conclusion is wrong. That does not make them any less my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Right. It does not make us any less a body of Christ, whether right. we're a united body of Christ, <laughs> Yes. Uh, is something we need to grapple with. Can we disagree and still love each other. Right. Good, good gracious response. That's why that's why people like Amy right there. So important. Um, so I, I I had a thought, and this might be somewhat of a contentious thought, but I mean that's the whole point of the podcast is to kind of navigate through these like sure. difficult things, right? Do you think say the contentious thing and then I'll figure out how to unify us? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Do you think and then yeah. I will make a joke and I'll be the humorous relief yes. and then we're good. And then we'll all be serving our functions praise, as the body. Praise Perfect. God. Perfect. <laughs> Do you think that cessationism really functions powerfully in particularly a Western, maybe even a North American context? So I'm the son of a missionary. Mm-hmm. You were a missionary. Mm-hmm. And so we've grown up, been into lots of other different cultures, mine being Romania and yours um, and you from Northern Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, we've all had various different experiences with other people groups, other ideologies, other religious mm-hmm. traditions. So like the, the spiritual gifts, I think is like really widely accepted around the world. Yes. And like tongues, for example, Tongues is, is uh, you know, part and parcel to Pentecostalism. But like here in America, the question is, do tongues exist? In parts of Africa, the question is, who is rooting your tongues? 
Mm-hmm. All these other tribes and religions and, and other things have tongues. Is your tongues actually rooted in Jesus Christ yes. or not? An African theologian told me that and just totally like slapped me, struck me. I was like, I could, oh my gosh. I was, I was thinking about it in such a Western way. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you think about that? Is there any No, absolutely. I do think that this debate, cessationist versus continuationist yes. debate, is very Western uh, in nature. I think that that's where its origin is. I have not seen this be an issue of debate or contention in other places of the world. Anywhere else, really? No. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's rooted some in our, in our Western philosophy. Um, certainly in, you know, the, the founding fathers who exegeted passages and, and, and made certain assumptions in them or came up with, here's the interpretation and yeah. then gets passed. Those were all Western theologians. Yeah. So and yeah. the vast majority of Christianity is in the, in the majority world, in the global South. Yes. So when we think about this in the grand scheme of things, cessationism isn't, and, and continuationism isn't a huge issue in Christianity Correct. on a global scale. Correct. It's a huge issue here. It's a huge issue here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know a lot of people have an issue with the concept of like tongues as a spiritual gift and whether or not that is like kind of how we mentioned, is that the babble of a child? Is that the sign of almost like immaturity because you're not praying or whatever as scripture has been given and and quoting scripture back. So what would, what would you think, what would you say is the point of tongues and is that still an effective gift that is used and what's its context, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Great questions. First of all, I wish that I could be like the PR person for the gift of tongues because I would immediately (laughs) change its name. (laughs) I think, I think part of our issue with tongues, part of why we feel like weird about it is because we don't use that word anymore to mean languages. Yeah. We, when we say tongues, I think of like, The you physical know, tongue. Yes. What tongue has she spoken in? <laughs> exactly. So the gift of tongues just has a weird visual to it, right? Yeah. Like, what are we even saying? But when we look at that word linguistically, what we're saying is it's a gift of languages. Yeah. So the, the question is, what purpose, what function would a gift of a spiritual language play? Hmm. And Paul gives evidence for, for two, kind of two main purposes for tongues, for a gift of languages. (laughs) So the gift of tongues then being defined as a language that I did not learn, Hmm. that I am the Holy Spirit empowers me um, to speak. Sometimes this is a a human language Mm -hmm. that I did not learn. Yeah. Sometimes it's not. It's a language of what Paul would say he says whether I'm speaking in the in the tongues of angels or of men, right? Sometimes these are heavenly languages. Yeah that are not, we can't tie, at least in our own, you know, that we, yeah. we don't know that they're a human language. So what is the purpose of that? What would be the purpose of the Holy Spirit empowering me to speak a language that I don't understand? Hmm. He gives two. And one, and it depends on the function in which, like the, the place, where is this being used? Yeah. If we're talking about this gift of languages being used in my own private prayer life, mm-hmm. in my devotional life, as I read the word, I spend time in prayer. I talk to God yes. in prayer yes. that the function of being able to pray in a spiritual prayer language in that moment is that, first of all, it's me communicating directly to God via my spirit, Yeah, mm-hmm. my spirit to his spirit, deep calling unto deep, scripture says. Yeah, And that surpasses, there are moments that I hit when I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. Yeah. I've run out of words. Words fail. 
Yeah, I've run out of words in any of the languages that I speak, any of the known languages (laughs) that I have studied and learned. I run out of words in all of them. In those moments, I love that scripture says that when I don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for me with groans and utterances that I cannot understand. Yeah, There is this, this, um, there's a great sense of peace to me knowing that I have a prayer language that I can pray where I know I may, my brain may not know what I'm saying intellectually with my mind. I don't know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. but I do know that I'm praying the direct will of God because it's God's spirit that is praying through me. Right. Uh, Scripture also says that when we pray in tongues again, and in that personal private prayer language that we edify ourselves. Now, sometimes cessationists will point to that and say, that's a bad thing. Right. You're trying to puff yourself up. It's a self, but really what edification means is to strengthen Right. Mm-hmm. To make something stronger, to make something more whole, to make something more healthy, to edify. Yeah. It's a good thing. We should be <laughs> edifying our spirits. If Absolutely. we're not edifying our spirits, like the opposite of edification is like degradation. Yeah. Right. So um to be strengthening my spirit, to be to be participating in a spiritual discipline that strengthens my spirit is a good thing. Yeah. I can tell you there are times that I can pray for an hour. In, in English, I can travail over something, but if I can spend 10 minutes praying in tongues, I feel, and I know it's not all based, we can't base everything on what we feel, sure, sure, sure. but I can tell you that the peace, the soundness of mind, the assurance, yeah. the, like, the fruit of the Spirit yeah. that I experience when I've spent 10 minutes praying in a gift of the Spirit... Mm often outweighs what I feel or what I experience when I spend an hour praying in English because it's my spirit communing with the spirit of God. So that's the function of it when it's used in my own private prayer language. And Paul is very clear that when that's happening, when I'm praying in my apartment by myself, just me and God, there's no, there's no interpretation that's needed. Right. That's just, it's a, it's a transaction between my spirit and and his spirit. And Paul says his mind is not profiting when he's doing that but his spirit is profiting. Mm-hmm. And so he says, I will pray in both. I'll pray in tongues and I will pray with my mind. Yeah, He'll use both. He's not advocating necessarily one to the exclusion of, of the other. Right. He's advocating for both. Mm-hmm. Then we have this other category of tongues and that is when tongues is used in a corporate setting. So I get up on a Sunday morning, I come up to the platform, I take a microphone and yes. I say, I have a word from the Lord for us and I proceed to speak in tongues. Yeah. Now that needs an interpretation or no one will be edified, right? And Paul's very clear about that in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, if there's a corporate word of tongues, Mm -hmm. first of all, there should be two or three at max. They should be done in order one after another. Like this shouldn't be something that like, you know, takes over and is chaos. It should be done in an orderly fashion, two or three at the most. And then there needs to be an interpretation. Otherwise no one is edified. Because it's really a, prophetic word that's being said. Exactly. And in that way, corporate tongues with an interpretation functions the same way that a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy would function because now it's the Holy Spirit saying something to us Mm -hmm. as a body that he wants said. It just happens to come through tongues first and then an interpretation into the language that we all speak so that our minds can profit. Okay. So here's a, here's a question that I get from students sometimes and, um, and I'll, tell you what I tell them. And so, um, and you can correct me if you think I'm leading them astray. Fun. Um, so, <laughs> um, they'll ask like, but what, I mean, we've had 
so many church services. We had it in chapel where like, like they actually spoke some tongues. It was glossolalia. So there's glossolalia, xenolalia, glossolalia is that spiritual language. Mm-hmm. And it was, they were saying it in the microphone and, mm-hmm. uh, and this and that, or like it was a night of worship. And then the person was just like, you know, like speaking in tongues in there and there wasn't an interpreter. Does that invalidate it? And so what I say is like a lot, context matters a lot of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Like if you guys are in a room of like, you know, 50 Pentecostals that are just kind of ready to throw down, you know what I'm saying? And then, then there's nothing, there's nothing unordinary or weird about what's happening there. They're just praying. They're just, they're just praying and worshiping and, um, and, and speaking all together. Mm -hmm. But if it's a corporate setting where, where someone speaks up, Paul's really kind of mentioning the, the being puffed up in vain glory. Somebody is, is is standing up and speaking in tongues to make themselves look awesome and spiritual. Mm -hmm. But then he's like, Hey, if you're not going to say something that is edifying everybody and sit your butt down, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, this is not for you to just kind of like be here, but like in this worship environment, you know, like somebody's kind of like praying in their own spirit to themselves. It just happens to be picked up by a mic or something like that. I feel like we can get way too strict with rules and stuff like that. Just know the context. Like nothing is, there isn't a prophetic word that needs to be said, but everybody kind of like feels that in the context. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I, so students ask this in spiritual gifts class every semester. I get this question because <laughs> someone will do that in chapel, right? And they'll come yeah. in and usually what students want to know is, is what they did right or wrong? You're right. And I think it's there's actually a much more nuanced conversation that needs to happen where it's maybe not a right or wrong issue as much as was that wise, was it... Was it fitting? Was it beneficial? Yeah. Was it fitting? Did it benefit the body of Christ as the body of Christ looks in an LPU chapel? Mm-hmm. So if it's a worship leader up on or a speaker, you know, in chapel and worship is happening and they're praying in their prayer language as a mo- as an act of worship and the mic happens to pick them up is that the same thing as a corporate word of tongues no 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 it's not so does it under paul's guidelines does it technically need an interpretation no because they're using their prayer language in a, right. in a private act of worship that happens to be on a microphone now here's for me where if i'm up on that stage either in a worship capacity or a speaking capacity here's where i want to ask myself should i be picked up on a microphone right now right, yeah. yeah is it helpful for me to hold the microphone six inches from my face and pray in tongues? Or is that going to create more questions or more discomfort mm-hmm. than it's worth? Is it, is it edifying context, for some? The context matters here. Exactly. And in the context of LPU, where we've got multiple denominations then it might be represented in one good. room, then it's yeah. maybe not, not wise. But maybe at a worship night when, when they're ready to go. Then you know your context, and I do agree that there's a contextual issue here. So I don't know that it's necessarily as much of a question of right or wrong as wisdom wisdom and love. What is the most loving thing, Mm -hmm. the most loving way to conduct myself in this environment that I'm currently in? You don't want to disenfranchise people. You don't want to be a stumbling block. Yeah. And um, and you definitely you you don't want to kind of like puff yourself up in vain right. glory. And yeah. I think uh, and that's all, all the stuff Paul always hits. Exactly. When he talks about conduct in the church. Exactly. Which is exactly his points in chapter thirteen and fourteen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a huge part about the debate of spiritual gifts is even not even necessarily that people don't like them because when spiritual gifts are enacted, like usually it's I mean it's for the glory of God and yeah. and it brings about something really positive. But I think what's hard is when people will use it almost like as a spiritual flex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of like, yeah. oh, I'm the healer guy. Like when right. I show up, people are going to get healed. Right. Or when I show up, 
Yeah. Like I'm a prophesy over somebody, even if it's not what I was like instructed to do, I'm going to hijack this service and prophesy over you. Right. Or I'm going to prophesy that I'm going to marry you. And everyone's <laughs> like, Oh my goodness gracious. Like, and, and oh, I know yeah. so many people Has who have it, it, not personally okay. that I know <laughs> of, but I know people who have like been approached at a camp or approached at a school or whatever. And someone was like, God really God told me mm-hmm. that you're my wife. Or you're my husband, or that something. That was the devil. Uh, d- the devil's or liar. something like that. And uh, first of all, I I don't think I've ever seen that play out, out. Actually, yeah. ever playing out. But I think it's that's what's hard for people. It's a Pentecostal pickup line. Yeah, <laughs> please and please don't, please don't do that. Yeah. But um, I think that's what's hard is like this spiritual gifts aspect of no one's, no one's like you. Gross. Somebody got healed. You gross. <laughs> somebody was delivered. You gross. Like you really told me and, and got like really prophesied over my life. It's how is that being brought? Like, yes. is it with this spirit of arrogance and I'm better than you and God gave me a bunch of gifts and I speak in tongues and you don't ha yes. like, is it? And, and I think that speaks to how we need to be. How do we use the gifts in a way that is glorifying to God and not, and I'm, not I'm abusive. a better Christian than you. Yes. That's good. Here's the thing. Gifts can be abused. Mm-hmm. And that's what Paul is speaking to in chapter 14. Yeah. But Paul's message is that the answer to abuse is not disuse, Hmm. it's right use. Yeah. That's good. And so Paul never in there does he say, y'all are misusing these gifts, so knock it off, quit using them. Yeah. He doesn't. He tells them to eagerly seek the gifts. Yeah. He just brings in order and says, here's, first of all, if your gifts are not rooted in love, Mm -hmm. then you're abusing each other with them and they are useless. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where love comes in. Right. And then on top of all of these things needing to be rooted in love, then here's some order. Here's how to how to use gifts artfully and in order. Yeah. So that they're not even not not only is that just not being abusive, mm-hmm. that's just making sure that you're being artful. Right. <laughs> being tactful. Right. The, the spiritual gifts motto of don't be weird. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh. Rule one. Rule don't one. Be don't weird. be weird. Uh, our, our pastor, because we go to the church, she calls it uh, spooky. Like, yeah. don't be spooky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it's funny. Exactly. So, yes, can, can the gifts be abused? Yes, they can. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can. But I don't think all of the critique that comes at us from cessationists or from anyone outside of the Pentecostal mm-hmm. realm. Yeah. Not every critique that they're giving is invalid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I wholeheartedly sure. believe in and endorse charisma, like the gifts, the grace gifts. Yes. I don't mean charisma as in like charismatic personality. Yeah. I mean, charisma as in the, the grace gifts, the spiritual gifts. Yeah. I do not believe in or endorse charismania. Hmm. And, and I don't think that we need to or should defend things that happen within the Pentecostal realm that are out of alignment with scripture, right. that are abuses of the gifts, right. that fuse spiritual gifts with fleshly, hmm. yeah. either fleshly motivation, flesh, fleshly desires, yeah. fleshly flexes, whatever it is. Right. Anytime we start adding flesh <laughs> we to get, the mixture, we get, out we of get alignment. weird. Yeah. Exactly. One of my favorite things about our denomination is that one of its foundational premises is moderation. moderation. Yeah. And this is by Amy Selva McPherson, yeah. who was super extra on so many levels. You oh, know what I mean? Like, hundred percent you know? in every way. Uh, and, and, and I love that about her. We all do. Mm-hmm. Like we admire that. But like she knew 
this point about charismania. She yes. knew that like, and, and there's no other Pentecostal denomination, I don't think, that has moderation as one of the- Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't, I don't think so. I, I'm, I'm not familiar. Yeah, and so, and so that's something that's just like, man, that is just right on the money. And it seems very Pauline mm-hmm. if we take 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 into account. Yes. Yeah. So are the gifts for today? Absolutely. Should they be the cornerstone of our Sunday morning? No. Mm. Cornerstone, what we- what Gospel. we. Yes, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's worship unto the Lord. It's carrying out his mission. It is uh, loving each other in brotherly love. And then the gifts are supposed to come in and serve to support that, edify the church, yeah. equip the church, build up the church, support those things, and equip us for carrying out the mission of God, which yeah. is evangelism, worldwide evangelism. Right. And they're not about us at all, it's about <laughs> the external communal. Christian experience. It's not like, how am I better? Yes. It's about how are we as a church, as a body? Yes. Better. And Paul is very clear about that, that the gifts are not for me to be used for my own benefit. They're given to me for the sake of you. Yeah. They're given you and your gifts are given to you, not to build, not to puff you up. Mm -hmm. The gifts that the Holy spirit will give and manifest through you are for me. Right. Now there is build each other up. There is a personal edification that can come from that, which Any, which yes. it does which which it does talk about too in like tongues like glossolalia mm-hmm. is one of those, but the the fundamental point of it, and um is is for the other. Yes, you know that that it's a the whole point of grace is the other. Yes, and if these gifts are charisms, they're graces. Mm-hmm. Then they are for the other for the, for um the building up the edifying yeah. worshiping the Lord social. Um, outreach where we're helping people, we're helping the needy. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all the things Jesus did. Jesus did all those things and he didn't mince on any of them. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think some people try to choose one thing over the other. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was a miracle worker. Mm-hmm. He was a preacher. Yeah. He was a healer. Mm-hmm. He also fed people. He taught them. He did all those things. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and just to, I think it's a little odd when we think that our ministry isn't supposed to just emulate that. Right. So, what would you say is the purpose? the genuine purpose of spiritual gifts in a believer's life in a church congregation space. What what would you say is the purpose for spiritual gifts? If they're to be used today, how are we to use them? Great question. The purpose of the gifts. I think scripturally there's two, two purposes for spiritual gifts, active and vibrant in church congregations today. One of them is for the equipping, the edification, the maturity of the church, Mm -hmm. the equipping of the saints. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says that these gifts have been given by the Spirit to each believer as he sees fit for the common good. 1 Corinthians 14, 12, and 26 tells us that the purpose of the spiritual gifts, even the miraculous gifts, is the building up of the body of Christ and and individual Christians. So I'll read that passage real quick. Um, It says, even so, Paul is writing, even so, since you are zealous for the spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. How is it then, brethren, whether you come together, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So part of it is to build up, have strong, mature, equipped churches. Now, the second um, purpose comes straight out of that. For what do we need strong, healthy, vibrant, edified, mature churches? Yeah so that we can fulfill the call of God mm-hmm. on our lives, which is the Great Commission. Yeah. The ultimate purpose of gifts is evangelization. 
is that they point to God in the midst of an unbelieving world. Mm -hmm. But not just evangelizing with the good news, but making disciples. Yes. Because I think sometimes, like without that distinction, some people might think, oh, all I got to do is preach. Right. But being made a disciple is uh, every aspect of your life um, following Christ. Yes, which needs edification, mm-hmm. maturity, being built up right again. So the, it's this, yep. the, the gifts are part of that. Absolutely. So the gifts are part of, of the initial evangelization that helps people know who Jesus is and become saved. Mm-hmm. And then also yep. part of the discipleship process by which they become rooted in him and yep. actually grow into his image. Yeah. So we have Jesus... Uh, talking about this, like Jesus explicitly links spiritual gifts, the empowering of the Holy Spirit with with the signs of gifts to the evangelistic purpose, the Great Commission. He says in Acts chapter one, he tells the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. For why? He, he then tells us what the power is for, right? Yes. It's not just so that we're like, look how powerful we are. <laughs> look at me. We are spiritual superheroes, right? right? Mm-hmm. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yeah. The purpose of being empowered by the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders and his gifts mm-hmm. is so that we can complete the mission that he's called us to. And then we see that in Acts chapter two. That's exactly what happens. <laughs> yeah, immediately Acts, what they do. <laughs> yes, they're all in the upper room together. The Holy Spirit descends upon them, baptizes them. They start speaking in tongues. There's all, and, and it's, and that must have been loud, y'all. Yeah. Because the sound of what happened in an upper room attracted a crowd of 10,000 people. Yeah, and then it says what, 3,000 came to know yeah, him so. or came to him that day. So it was like immediate action of the Holy Spirit was bringing people into the kingdom. Yeah, exactly. So the the Holy Spirit is poured out. These believers, male and female, Paul is very, is very clear. He says what is happening here in Acts chapter two. This is the the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given in Joel chapter two, right? That says that in the end days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Mm-hmm. Your men and your women. Yep. You're young and you're old. Yep. Even your manservants and your maidservants. I'm obviously paraphrasing. Yes. But <laughs> what we see in that is this beautiful truth that the Holy Spirit, if he is poured out on all flesh, mm-hmm. all ethne, all people groups, then the Holy Spirit is not racist. Right. If he is poured out on both men and women, then he is not sexist. Mm-hmm. If your young men will dream dreams and your old men will see visions, I may have flipped that, but he is not ageist. Yeah. And if even your manservants and your maidservants, his fle- his spirit will be poured out on them, then he is not classist. Yeah. So all of the things that we tend to use to divide and marginalize and discredit each other, the Holy Spirit does none of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is not racist, sexist, classist, or ageist, and neither are his gifts. He's mm-hmm. poured out, his spirit is poured out, and his gifts are manifested yeah. through all of us. And Peter, as he's describing these things, saying this is a direct fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel 2, mm-hmm. as he has just made this beautiful, eloquent proof that the Holy Spirit and his gifts are not racist, sexist, classist, ageist. Peter continues to say this promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out on you with all of his power and all of his giftings flowing through you. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who our Lord God will call. That is a future statement. Yeah. This is for you, it's for your children, it's for future generations, it's for all mm-hmm. who the Lord will call. Yeah. 
the Lord has called you and I. Yeah. In 2023, people mm-hmm. are still being saved. They are still being called. The Holy Spirit is still being poured out. His gifts are still being given. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are still being equipped with the gifts for the edification of the body and for the furthering of the mission because God is still calling people out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Yeah. And because that is still happening, this promise is still valid, which means the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Come on. So good. Sister Amy. Sister Amy. That's good. I think that's a beautiful way to end and um, some uh, a really powerful encouragement for the church as we go. So before we go, though, we always forget to do this. So I'm going to do it right now. But like, uh, if you want to learn from Amy or myself or uh, probably in the future, Megan, Be near too, me. Or be near, <laughs> be near, be near <laughs> Megan. Uh, this is from, uh, this is brought to you by the college of theology and ministry at LPU. So, um, we hope you guys enjoyed it. We hope this really encourages you and edifies you. Mm -hmm. We hope you were edified by the gift of Amy Selby. So (laughs) thank you for joining us, Amy. Thank you for having me. This was fun. All right. See you next time. See you next week.